Welcome back to the Fun Size Podcast. If you are new here, my name is Kirsten and I am a nutrition and fitness coach for women under 5'3". This podcast and my content on all my other platforms is about empowering petite women to be the highest version of themselves via nutrition, fitness, fashion, and so much more. If you're under 5'3", make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so that you don't miss another fun-sized episode. On today's show, I'm answering five really great questions that I got from my followers from Instagram. And if you have any questions that you would like answered on the show or just in general, please message me at funsized.nutrition on Instagram. That's where I'm always hanging out and available to chat. Anyway, let's just roll right on into the questions. The first one was, what are some quick and easy ways to get more protein into your diet? And man, oh man, I have so many tips and tricks here. First off, my biggest tip is to get really, really clear on how much protein you actually need. It's usually around one gram of protein per lean pound of body weight, but it could go up or down depending on things like your body's unique ability to assimilate protein and your personal goals. Anyway, if you have a daily protein goal, divide that goal by the total number of meals that you typically eat per day. That answer is how much protein you should aim to have per meal. So let's say your protein goal is 125 grams. If you divide that by five, you get 25. So 25 is that target number you want to have at each meal. Basically, this makes that really fucking big scary protein goal a hell of a lot less scary and much, much, much more manageable. Mini goals are the best. Another tip is to bulk cook protein sources ahead of time. My best example I can give here is to grill up a pack of chicken breasts for the week and when you find yourself needing more protein, it's already there and ready to be eaten because, listen... How many times have you found yourself needing a snack and just being like, oh, I just don't want to cook it. Like I have chicken, I have this, I have that, but I just don't feel like cooking it right now. Especially in the summertime, if you just don't want to get that heat cranking up on the grill or the stove or whatever it is, I feel you, it happens. We're all busy babes, we all do this, but when it's all done and ready to go because you prepared it ahead of time, it's really hard to come up with those excuses. And if you're anything like me, if you put in the work to cook it on, let's say, Sunday, you're more likely to eat it and not let it go to waste because you put in the work, you put in the effort. Also, if you are not a big meat eater, or even if you are a meat eater, keep non-meat protein-packed products on hand. For example, protein pancake mixes like pancakes are phenomenal to have when you're in a pinch and you need something quick. Um, Protein-infused nut butters, uh, protein-infused breads and wraps, lentils, beans, pumpkin seeds are really high in protein. There are so many foods that you could add to your meals, even if it's just to get a few more grams here, a few more grams there, so that you get that mini protein goal at each meal. And finally, always try to make high protein recipes. So search my blog or my fun size recipe library for all of my high protein recipes. You can screenshot or pin the ones that you want to try and then just go have fun. Go to the store, get what you need, and then just experiment and have a good time. The second question is, how often do I change up my workouts? 
And as a general rule of thumb, I like to switch up my workouts every four weeks or so. Sometimes it's only three weeks for reasons like if I'm feeling like the program is too easy or too hard, or sometimes I even stretch it to five weeks for reasons like if I felt like one week I wasn't feeling my best to give it my all, or if I was traveling halfway through, There are so many different circumstances that might arise for why you would extend it or shorten it, but majority of the time, I like to keep it around four weeks. Reason being is that our bodies like to adapt to any stimulus we throw at it. So when you start a new set of workouts, each workout, you create micro tears in the muscle. This is why you get that sore feeling. Your body heals those micro tears and then overcompensates with more strength and more muscle size so that when you apply the same or similar stress, aka doing that same workout the next week again, it doesn't cause or doesn't create as much damage again. But it still creates some and your body must heal those tears and overcompensate again. This is why by week three or so, you usually find the workouts are getting easier and it's because you're stronger. This is also why you might feel sorest in the first week of a program and then not so much in week two, a lot less in week three, and hardly nothing in week four. Now, just to be clear, muscle soreness isn't a clear indicator of how effective your workouts are, but if you happen to notice soreness in this pattern, it might help you understand this process better. Basically, what happens is over time, your muscles become accustomed to a stimulus and eventually it stops overcompensating as much. And if you go beyond five weeks without changing any of the training variables, you're stuck in this breakdown recovery trap where the body has finished its main adaptation with the stimulus that you've given it, but it's not properly stimulated any further. And that's when you know it's time to change phases. On the flip side, if you switch up your training less than three weeks, you might not be giving the body enough time to finish the adaptation. So four weeks is the sweet spot. Question number three, when tracking food, how come we don't incorporate calories burned? And what I think that she's asking here is why shouldn't I allow my macro tracking app to add back my calories burned via exercise so that I can eat more on the days that I train hard? And believe me, I get why this would be so appealing. As a foodie, I would love, love, love if I had a good reason to eat more. However, it's not a great approach for a couple reasons. But first, let me backtrack here and explain how we burn calories in the first place. So there are four factors that determine your TDEE, which you probably know is your total daily energy expenditure. So these four factors are your basal metabolic rate, aka BMR, which is the amount of energy you burn just by existing, just by breathing and being in this world. Then you have thermic effect of food, aka TEF, which is the calories your body burns while breaking down your food. Next is non-exercise energy thermogenesis, aka NEAT or NEAT which refers to calories you burn during non-structured physical activity like walking, folding laundry, etc. And then finally, you have 
thermic effect of activity, or TEA, which is the calories you burn via intentional exercise like your workouts. Now, this might come as a shock, but your calories burned from exercise usually make up less than 10% of your total calories. So it's really not that much, which is which is why nutrition plays such a big role in altering your body composition, which is also a really big reason why if I do give my clients rest day macros, there really isn't a big gaping difference, but that's also a topic for another time. Anyway, your tracking device combines your BMR and your activity data to estimate, keyword here, your calories burned. So what you would have to do is magically calculate just your TEA and not your BMR calories, which are also burned during the workout sesh that you just finished. So all of this sounds pretty complicated, right? Without meaning to, I've just highlighted one of the reasons why you should not use this approach because it's a huge pain in the ass and can be super confusing when every single workout and calories burned will vary across the entire week. And it would give me a motherfucking headache, okay? It already has. Like, just talking about it, I'm like, oh, this is just so complicated. It's just not worth it. But the reasons not to eat back exercise calories extend well far beyond that. Reason number two is that your smartwatch or your tracker, whatever device you're using to figure out how many calories you burned is actually only giving you estimated calories burned. So let me start by saying that I think activity trackers, Fitbit, Apple watches are fantastic. I use them in my coaching program. I wear one every single day and they're great for bringing awareness and encouraging lifestyle activity. But the calorie burn feature it's not very useful at all. As I mentioned earlier, it is just an estimate. Even if your device tracks heart rate, it's still an estimate. Some studies have found that even the most popular activity trackers may overestimate calorie burn by up to 93%. 93 fucking percent. Therefore, it is just not a reliable measurement of how much you're actually burning. If and when I look at my calories burned in Fitbit, I don't get hung up on the exact number on any given day at all. Instead, if I'm ever looking at that piece of data, I look at the patterns or the trends that happen over time. Reason three is that focusing on calories burned could lead to a negative relationship with food and exercise. It often leads to diet compensation and or exercise obsession feelings and guilt on rest days and the list goes on. Thing is, you need to eat regardless of whether you're training or not. You need those calories and your body needs to rest to build muscle. So being rewarded with more food on days that you're training more and doing more only really sets up this unhealthy mindset that you always need to be doing and moving and going. Finally, reason number four, if you're getting nutrition targets from a fitness nutrition coach, your targets probably already include exercise calories. When I formulate my clients' macros, I always factor in their exercise into their nutrition targets. And that's why I had to reword the original question because we, as in fitness nutrition coaches, do incorporate calories burned. But we, as in people who track our macros, 
shouldn't allow tracking apps to automatically adjust our calories based on their shitty calculations. <sighs> okay, that was a long one, you guys, but totally such a good fucking question. Um, as you can tell by how fired up I got there. Have you ever looked around the gym to see everyone else using heavier weights than you and thought to yourself, uh, should I be lifting heavier? Have you ever wondered how much other ladies of your size are lifting? Or do you just want to know how much more you should aim to lift to take your strength to the next level? Well, guess what? I created a fun size strength chart so that you can finally confidently choose the appropriate weight for your body size for 28 of the most common lifts, such as squats, lateral raises, seated rows, things like that. No more looking around at everyone else or feeling self-conscious because this chart will take the guesswork out of it and give you guidelines for safe yet challenging weights to use per your current level of fitness. Get the free chart by taking the super short but super fun strength quiz. Go to www.funsize.life slash strength quiz. Mmm, you know what I love more than having abs? Pancakes. But now there's this trend of companies who want you to have the best of both worlds, so they created mixes that contain a much better ratio of protein to carbs than those heart attack stacks you'll find at IHOP. Believe me, I feel like I've tried them all, but my favorite, hands down, is Pancakes Pancakes, whose six amazing flavors are high in flavor, high in protein, low in carbs, and low in fat. Not only do they make fantastical fluffy flapjacks, but wonderful waffles and magnificent muffins. What can I say? I've got a thing for alliteration, okay? Anyway, give them a whirl by going to pancakespancakes.com and take 10% off your order by using coupon code FUNSIZED at checkout. Question number four, how did you get back into tracking macros after your all-in journey? Now, before I tell you how, I think I must first explain why. So given the extreme approach I took to originally lose weight, aka competition, and why I had developed HA in the first place, again, competition, Combined with the nutrition education that I developed after the fact, I knew in my heart that it was absolutely, totally possible for me personally to relose the weight again, but in the right way. I knew it was going to be a much longer road, and by long, I mean years. And as much as it would have just been so nice to take it off in a few months like I did in the past, I would have landed myself in the exact same spot without a period, which is exactly what I wanted to avoid. So getting back into tracking my macros specifically was hard. And it wasn't hard because macros is hard. It was hard because there was a lot of negative self-talk happening in my brain. So there was a lot of feelings of, should I even be doing this? Is this going backwards in terms of my relationship with food? I worked so hard to accept this weight gain. Am I wrong for wanting to lose it now? And so all of these negative thoughts were just kind of stirring in my brain. But on the flip side, I was also having thoughts like, I know better now. I know what to do now. And I just needed to prove to myself that there is a better way. And so I just fucking did it. Like 
the tracking part wasn't the difficult part. It was the kind of silencing the negative thoughts in my head. And at first it was really cool because my calories were super duper high. But within a few weeks, I found myself gravitating to some of my former food rules, like reducing dairy and fruit. And once I was aware of what I was doing, I vowed to keep those things in. And that was difficult, but not as difficult because I knew that I needed to keep those things in. And also, like, as soon as I started to see progress while keeping those things in, it was like, it was the proof I needed to keep going with it and to feel okay about it and be like, okay, like, these foods aren't the devil kind of thing. And I also learned to give myself more grace this time around by taking more untracked days than I ever had in the past. So in order to not jeopardize this better relationship that I now had with food, I knew it was also important to practice food freedom by simply not tracking when my mind needed it the most, and especially by listening to my hunger cues, which was a big part of the all-in process. So I took basically everything that I learned from all of my experiences and kind of combined it here as I started to lose the weight again. And I did have many untracked days and many days where I ate over my macro goals, but if I step back and look at the big picture, those days didn't even come close to the number of days that I was actually consistent. And it's funny how our minds love to gravitate to and focus on the messy times like my mind just did just now as I was answering this question, but we just have to remember that consistency is not about perfection every day but it is about doing the best you can majority of the time so that when you look at the past few months or even years in my case, you can say the good days outweighed the messy days. So that's how I got back into tracking. I gave myself a lot more grace. I really paid attention to any kind of food rules that I was still hanging on to. I just really paid attention to my hunger cues and I keep saying this lately, but I learned to view macros as more of a practice and not as a rigid structured thing where if I did go over, it was the end of the world. It was more like, okay, well, I went over today. What can I learn from this? Is it because I'm not eating enough and my macros aren't high enough for me? Or is it because I'm being emotional right now? Like so many things and just kind of taking that data and learning from it later. And like I said, it's a process. It took me couple years to shed that weight again. It took me a couple years to learn these things. So it's definitely a marathon and not a sprint. And speaking of exercise, I didn't really touch on exercise. I don't know. Yeah, that question was about tracking macros after all in and not really exercise, but I do kind of just want to throw this out there. The all in process required me to not step foot in a gym or work out for three months. After those three months, I started back really slowly. I went I want to say twice a week and it was just basic like I'm just gonna move I'm just gonna yeah like I'm not gonna push my body I'm just gonna be here and enjoy the atmosphere because I miss the gym so much so um that was like November December so I was traveling for holidays and stuff and not really being any sort of bit of consistent in the gym but once January hit this was kind of the time where I was like I'm gonna get back into this well I didn't realize how hard it would be to get back into exercise. My body was 
not fighting me, but just in total shock. At first I was like, I'm gonna go to the gym five to six days a week. And I found that like, that was way too much. I had to bump it down to four. I found that I was getting injured a lot, which was new for me. I never had that problem before. So there were a lot of times where I was like, oh, I'm feeling good. And then I'd kind of like push my body to the next level. And then I'd feel a little tweak and I'd be like, well, shit, now I'm out for a week. So there was a lot of things like that in the very beginning. Getting back into it was really, really tough. But I also knew that the more I tried and the more I moved, that eventually the less injuries I would have. And that's exactly what happened. So sometimes it's just really, really hard to get back into the swing of things after taking so much time off. And this is why like when I have clients who are bouncing back from pregnancy, I'm like, hey, listen, like your body has changed so much in the last nine months. It's going to take some time for you to bounce back. Now, it might not take another nine months, but you have to give yourself grace throughout this period because it is totally new for you. Even if you've had kids before, it's still a new experience. Give yourself time, give yourself grace if you're just getting back into exercise and tracking. And the last final question, number five, what drove you to become a PT in the first place? And why petites? How did you get into such a specific niche? Well, this is going to be a loaded answer. Starting with the first question, as a teen, I played soccer and softball and I ran track, but I just felt like I didn't look like an athlete. And I eventually started seeing a personal trainer in high school and I just fell in love with weight training. Way, way, way before it was cool on Instagram, I actually kept my whole personal training thing a secret from most of my friends because I was just embarrassed. I thought that only fat people needed a personal trainer, which is totally wrong. But anyway, that's just what I was thinking as a 16 year old. Anyway, lifting weights made me feel so strong and just all around more confident in who I was. So I wanted to help other people use strength training to feel the same way that I did. At first, I worked with everybody and anybody, tall, short, men, women, whoever was at my local gym, whoever I could get my hands on. Five years later, I started to notice that my most successful clients and the ones that I really enjoyed working with were young petite women under 5'3". So in 2018, I just got to the point where I was like, this is where I excel. So I just have to go all in on this super specific kind of crazy niche. And obviously I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I can connect with this demographic more than any other group since I am a petite myself. But now that I am where I am, I realize that fitness is actually what helped me to let go of the short girl insecurities that I developed in early adolescence and my young adult life. And I was completely unaware of how much those limiting beliefs were holding me down and affecting my life until fitness taught me how to see my height as my superpower. And I was finally like, I fucking love being short and I fully embrace being petite. And now all I want to do is empower other petite women to do the same. So it's funny how hindsight can be 2020 sometimes. And I didn't realize that that big insecurity was holding so much power over me. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked at how things turned out. 
Thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new today, I would so appreciate if you could take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories so more petite women can learn from it. And don't forget to tag me so I can see it. Also, if you haven't already, take advantage of all the free resources I have for women under 5'3", including the other 111 episodes of this podcast, my fun size recipe library, the strength quiz, and my top five nutrition hacks guide. All of these can be found using the links in the episode description. And once again, please make sure you are subscribed so you never miss an episode. And while you're at it, leave me a five-star rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to be entered to win the drawing for a free sun-sized tank top. I'll be announcing the next winner at the end of episode 115. Thanks again. I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.